The last of the great human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And I can extract myself from the suffering because my attitude can trump my ego's frustration about the situation if I lock in power of my mind to choose differently. I'm going to master this thing called teaching. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. And I'm not going to let any human being on the face of this planet stop me, not even myself. And genius is available in all of us in the area of our highest value when we care enough intrinsically to be inspired to go after solving those problems. It's, it's waiting for all of us to do that. We can expand our awareness, consciousness, to expand who we are as beings into this new human being that we're becoming. It's the tension and the contrast that actually helps to push us through to the next level of evolution. Our cells have consciousness and so does the bacteria. So we can also tune into our bodies and, and work with our bodies more knowing that and appreciating these billions of points of consciousness. Now when that change takes place, the momentum that's created in our life from that moment on is monumental insights, the wisdom, the guidance, the direction, the spontaneous goodness, serendipity, coincidence. Things start to work together for good because we're now in a flow of our personal mind, but we're in the flow of the mind of God. Welcome to the Whole Human Optimization Show. This podcast is entirely devoted to the exploration of physical vitality, emotional well-being, and mental fitness. The intention of each episode is to help you discover your deepest truth by ending the cycles of limitation, addiction, and self-sabotage. I am your host, Ronnie Landis, and today we are going to go on a journey into the frontiers of whole human optimization. Let's go. Greetings and aloha. Welcome to another edition of the Whole Human Optimization Show. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis, and today I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Patrick Hayes. He's an incredible transformational coach. He's an MC, a poet, um, really like a very unique human being on the planet, has many, many different talents, and is steeped in many different topics, such as I am as well. We kind of go into a lot of different nooks and crannies in a lot of different uh, a lot of different areas of research and somehow pull it all together in a way that makes sense and deliverable to the public. And um, yeah, Patrick has been doing some amazing work over the years in the transformational space and uh, has been on the front lines in the digital space, you know, just really holding steady to truth over lies. That's how I'll put it. And I know that because that's what I've been doing as well. And I, I recognize that in you. And um, we've had a lot of really awesome conversations, you know, when we bump into each other in Sedona. I lived there for a while. You still are out there in Cornville now, right next door, but still in that Sedona space. And um, yeah, man, we have a lot to get into today, uh, but a little check-in. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, just riding the waves. You know, there's so many changes we were just talking about a little bit before you hit the record button. There's so many changes. Um, and I feel like that's pretty universal. Most people that I talk to mm. seem to be going through the same thing. So, you know, just uh, practicing uh, equanimity and, and going with the flow as best as mm. I can. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I relate to that very much. Yeah. So the first place I want to start with you when when we were in Sedona, one of the last times we were in Sedona, um, we dropped in. We had this really amazing conversation about Rudolf Steiner, Luciferianism. And at some point we talked about your your journey of healing from addiction. I didn't actually know that about your background. Oh, really? Yeah. And so that kind of sparked the original impetus to do a podcast together. That was like a year ago. And so now we're finally doing it. And I'd love to dive into your backstory and um, particularly your story of overcoming addiction. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big part of my journey for sure. Well, I was, um, let's see, where do I start with that? You know, it's like, uh, you know, I could start with, you, you know, different traumas and stuff that, that I, I think really contributed to mm-hmm. the, um, disposition that led me towards addiction. Um, but, um, you know, in a sense, sometimes I think one way of looking at it is the, is the more personal, the more universal in the sense that, you know, we've all been through different traumas, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're traumatized mm-hmm. as a culture in general. So, um, I think if we, if we focus more on addiction, I don't think I need to go so much into the specifics of the traumas that I experienced as a child, but, um, but we'll just say that, you know, because of that, I, I, the traumas that I experienced, I, I think that, you know, and this, and this is kind of one of my philosophies is like one of the core principles that, that, um, or the core, uh, I could say wounds, um, that leads to addiction is, uh, I had lost my ability to, uh, to like have bliss experience, to have, mm. have joy in the way that is healthy or in the way that maybe, you know, most of us have experienced like on, on some level as a child. And hopefully, you know, many of us can continue to experience, but um, in other words, I was, I was at a place in my life where I was just locked up and stuck and I couldn't act or move or talk or just felt completely um, uh, contracted. And um around that age, I got, uh, I, I, I started seeing doctors that prescribed me, um, Adderall and Zoloft and all sorts of different, um, you know, a cocktail of, of, uh, of pharmaceuticals that on some level really did unlock me. And that was kind of my first introduction to, um, here, take this thing to feel better, like take this pill and it'll make you feel better. And, um, and it worked for some time. Um, but essentially, and that this was at about every age 11 or 12, um, I was put on, you know, a high dose of Adderall and, and, and Zoloft were the two main things. And, um, and so it embedded that kind of relationship of take this in order to feel better. And then, um, and it worked for a good period of time. It broke me out of my shell. I felt great. I was, you know, doing well, seemingly like externally. Um, but then my body started rejecting the, uh, the medication. Um, especially the, the Adderall, by the time I was about 19, I really couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And it was just starting to take a toll on my body. And, um, you know, so I tried coming off of it and I realized I did not know how to function. I just couldn't do anything without it. And I was just complete emotional roller coaster and very apathetic without it. Cause I was basically, you know, brought back to that contraction state that, that I was stuck in, which was kind of a mixture of trauma and deep depression and, and self-judgment. And, um, and so then right at that time happened to be the time, um, that, uh, that Oxycontin started hitting the streets and I was just, you know, around that kind of in that culture and in a bit of like the kind of like gangster rap, like, 
mm-hmm. the pop mm-hmm. culture out in the East Bay at the time. And it was around and I just, you know, went straight into it. It actually, and then also that in the beginning worked really well because it was, you know, I felt super inspired. I felt you know, mm-hmm. happy. I was functional, um, very social and extroverted. Um, plus I could sleep and I could mm-hmm. eat. So it was almost like, you know, a solution oh, wow. to the, to the, um, the issue I was having, I would, albeit I slept way too much, you know, as you do with opiates, but, um, but yeah, uh, you know, and then that was basically a, uh, that was the beginning of, you know, an opioid spiral opioid amongst other things that, uh, from about age, you know, what was that about 19 or 20 through about 28 that I just, it was, you know, basically a long spiral down. I think I got clean maybe, um, a total of three months in that entire period. And I, I, I probably kicked opiates maybe, I don't know, seven or eight times and would sometimes cl- stay clean for like a couple of weeks, or I think I did like, a, you know, like, like six weeks once and then back into it. Um, but towards the end of it, um, I actually was kind of like in this liminal space where I started experimenting with psychedelics again. And, mm-hmm. um, and that in many ways, it was funny. I was this, I was this like, you know, junkie doing a bunch of street drugs while simultaneously studying spiritual text and mm. trying to do inner work. Right. So like when I got into my mid twenties, I was like, it started really getting into the, okay, well, I got to do something about, you know, my development as a person, but I still couldn't shake the monkey on my back. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, I was, you know, still using, but I was doing the best I could to kind of build some sort of internal, um, stability, especially at least with my belief system and my, um, and my, you know, patterns of thinking that, you know, come to realize that was the prerequisites necessary for when I finally did quit. It was like the stability that, that, that gave me the potential to continue being clean when I finally did. Um, but then let's see, it was, it was December of 2011 when I, uh, you know, at the, I'll just say like this, I went through a lot of stuff, lived a criminal lifestyle was, you know, there's a lot of ugly things that I experienced at the end of it. I was homeless in Mexico and um, I was waiting to do this Ibogaine treatment in Mexico at an underground facility. It wasn't like a legitimate facility, but it was this other junkie guy that, you know, was had Ibogaine down in Mexico. And I went down there to do it. And, um, and Ibogaine really saved my life in the sense that, you know, every time you kick, um, opiates, it's, uh, it's worse. And I, by the end I was homeless. And so I, I, I couldn't kick on the street because that was just, that's not, it's, it's not a viable solution to try to kick on the street, or at least it wasn't for me. And, um, and so, uh, I, I did this Ibogaine treatment, which I, there's, I don't know if you've done much research. You probably have mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. but for the listeners, um, if, if you haven't heard of a boga, uh, which is a, it's, it's a, a, a plant from, it's a root from, from Africa um, and the Bwiti tribe. I think it was there, the Bwiti tribe that, that really, um, that it was like, it was their, which like the plant of their culture, you could mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. their whole culture surrounds it, but it has this really uncanny effect for, um, for healing opiate addiction. And which is really baffling when you think about it too, because it's, there's this plant that exists in Africa and somebody that's been addicted to opiates for years can take this plant during, once you get into stage two withdrawal, right? You take the plant mm-hmm. 
-hmm. and it completely uh, mutes the entire withdrawal process, which is like, I mean, for anybody that's ever kicked opiates, I mean, that's like a miracle. The fact that you can take something, you know, that your whole body gets basically addicted to, um, to the opiates to the point where mm -hmm. you can't even metabolize sugars anymore mm -hmm. for energy. It's like, you're like, uh, you're like, you know, mm -hmm. like you're like a, a lead suit mannequin. You like can't move. And then, you know, all the emotional stuff attached to it and the extreme depression from the chemical imbalances and all that, but that you can take something that completely nullifies that detox uh -huh. process is insane. I mean, you're still, you know, you're still, you know, weak afterwards, but it's like you're nullifying the, the withdrawal by like 85 or 90%. It's like, wow. it's crazy. So having gone, you know, kicking it so many times before and then being able to do it that way, plus it's this deep visionary experience. It's like ayahuasca in a sense. People I've heard it referred to as like a masculine form of ayahuasca. But it's almost like this plant was is karmically connected to like the the poppy plant or something like, you know, the hair, you know, where heroin comes from. And it's almost like this it's like a, it's almost like it was placed here as like the perfect cure for that addiction because it also repatterns your neurology. So for people that um, have, have been addicted for long periods and for long times in their life, you develop these neural pathways that are extremely unhealthy, these like cyclical addiction kind of like thinking pathways. But, um, but I, I believe that it is a boga that has the most, um, it creates the most neuroplasticity of any of the other. And I may not be you know, that may not be correct, but I, I believe so. I think, I think mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. it actually creates more neuroplasticity. Than I've, any I've other. heard that. Right. So it really unsticks your brain patterns, mm -hmm. right? So it like, mm -hmm. it re, you know, in the, in experientially, I mean, to me, it was like, it was like uh, it was a deep cleansing on all different levels, you know, spiritual cleansing, physical cleansing, emotional cleansing um, of the addiction consciousness and the addiction astral parasites that like were, you know, embedded in my consciousness from that addiction. So it was really like a deep process, but it, it you know, I, in many ways I was prepared for that because I knew in myself when I went into that, that this was, I had to, I was quitting, I was dying. I had to quit. So the prerequisite was already met in the sense that my soul was ready for it. Right. Um, and so since my soul was ready for it, having that as a tool to help me, it really kickstarted the whole process and, um, and cleansed me in a way where, you know, once I was clean, I wasn't going back. And, um, and it was, it was much smoother than it would have been if I had, you know, kicked the hard way and had to, you know, repattern re my consciousness and, and detox all of my, on all those different levels of my consciousness, um, kind of like on my own or in cold Turkey, I guess, in a sense. So that was kind of my process. And that was, um, it was December in 2011. And, um, and then from that point on, there was a distinct, it was like, I always think about that, um, the movie fight club where, uh, where Edward Norton, um, kills himself. So it was Brad Pitt, you know, that, that killed himself or tried to kill himself, but it was like the weaker version of him died. And mm -hmm, then only mm -hmm. the Brad Pitt version stayed. And I very much feel like that was my experience with with opiates, it was like, there was this part of me that was like sick and didn't want to live anymore. And was, it was, uh, it was the saboteur in me that was mm. destroying me. And it was kind of like this battle between the saboteur or the will to survive. And at the end of it all, it was like, and I was, you know, I really face to face with death at the end there. Um, it was the, the part of me that wanted to survive was stronger. And then in going through that process, it killed the part of me mm. that didn't want to survive, like killed itself in a sense. Wow. And I was able to make it through that. And, um, and, you know, and it's interesting, too, because um, 
because my, my background with addiction and being able to see through that lens for so long. Now I'm remembering the conversation that we had when you were over at my house that uh-huh. day is it, it's um, it's been such a valuable lens to perceive the world with because what we're basically dealing with, I mean, it, it, I think this is actually a very accurate and healthy framework to perceive um, society right now and humanity yeah. right now uh-huh. is that what we're dealing with is addiction on like all that's levels. right. 100 like every, every issue we're dealing with is some level of addiction because if you look at what addiction is yeah addiction is essentially the inability to um align your behavior with your truest intention or your or what what you like your highest intention Wait, what what definition is that well what i i'll, I'll explain why i why i why i, I mean that. i think that's absolutely brilliant right well and, and what i mean by that is that is that you know, when, when you're, when you're in a conscious addiction, right. Where you're like yeah. conscious of it, mm-hmm. it's like, there's it, what it means is you can't stop doing something that you know, you shouldn't do, or, you mm. know, that's bad for you. Right. And so it's like, you have this intention to do something, you know, healthier or better for you, but for some mm. reason you, you your behavior takes to. over like it, yeah, something. Yeah. And, it, and it's almost like you, you can try to choose to even do it, but it's almost like you go into a trance. Like you're uh-huh. do, like you keep getting uh-huh. sucked into this trance. That is that where you're acting out something that, that in a sense you don't want to act out. Right. So it's like, so when you look at whatever anybody's issues are in their life, it has to do with them making decisions or not being able to make the decisions that they are intending to make, having yeah. trouble making yeah. the healthier decisions in their life. And so, and then you, and then you look around society as far as, you know, whether it's media or all the distractions, I mean, we could go into all the things, alcohols or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, even negative thinking is an addiction, right? So uh, being abusive Mm, is an addiction. mm. Um, So it's like even all of our different emotional uh, uh, um, distortions. These are addictions, right? They're either unconscious addictions where we don't know that we're doing it and we continue to, or it becomes an addiction where we become conscious of it and then we're intending not to do it, but we can't help but do it, right? And so yeah, addiction is like is is one of the main. I think it's a it's a healthy lens actually to perceive what we're dealing with right now. And so in in in, in closing, um, the, this this kind of run that I've been on, no, it's um, great. It's it's in realizing that um, in being able to perceive things as an addiction um, through having gone through it, there I feel like there's there's a certain fundamental um, like. Uh, framework that I've been able to uncover that is applicable mm. to almost every dimension of life and mm. to almost every problem that we're experiencing in life too. And so, um, this is the gift I say that like I got from having gone through that. Right. And I mean, I'm sure that anybody else that's been through, I know you're, I don't know if you've been through addiction in the same way that I have, no, but I know not quite the same studied, way, but yeah, definitely for but sure. I know you're very studied in, in the realm of addiction and, yeah. and in being able to, to perceive it that way, I think is really, you know, valuable um, mm-hmm. framework for, for, for navigating. Fully agreed. I mean, that's been my perspective too, ever since releasing the book on addiction and going really deep into that, that realm, that framework, that's pretty much been my distillation of thought too, is that the world is suffering from addiction of many different kinds from from psycho-emotional addictive patterns, you know, emotional loops, psychological loops, distorted thought and emotional patterns. Um, you know, the spiritual community, we could go deep into the the escapism 
um, the substance abuse, uh, you know, just so many, the, the, the loose sexual energy. I mean, and I mean, there's so many different things, right. Um, physical addictions being the most kind of obvious substances again, and pharmaceutical drugs, food, sugar, pornography i mean the, the, the social media like the digital dopamine distraction that being like one of the biggest epidemics of our time right now i mean again the the, the list is so expansive but that that's only that, those are symptoms right those are the symptoms that are pointing to a deeper a deeper issue and it's like gabor mate says the addiction is not the problem the addiction is attempt to solve the problem so then it's like well, what is the problem then? If we all have these compulsive addictions or addictive patterns or tendencies, then there's a deeper underlining problem. And then that's what we really need to look at. And I think it's being pretty, pretty well articulated in the world over 2020 into 2021, moving into 2022. And we'll see where that takes us. Um, I think it's being pretty well um, punctuated what the series of problems is. And I think the biggest problem is that we we've become disconnected from ourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to keep it short, like, OK, we've been disconnected from God and source and nature. That's true. And we've been disconnected just from ourselves. Like we don't know who we are. We don't know where we come from. We don't know where we're going. Um, there's like this perpetual state of like inner conflict or inner confusion. And then it's just amplified itself with, um, you know, the media and, and all the series of distractions. Maybe that's the biggest addiction. I don't know. I'll get your take on it. Distraction in of itself. Maybe that's the biggest addiction we face. Right. Well, I think, I think you're really, you're pointing perfectly to, um, to some of the core issues, right? And so it would be that it's what I would say is it's it's distraction from the pain, yeah, right, from the trauma that we're experiencing. Yeah. And the trauma is, in a sense, the distortion that gets between us experiencing us as ourselves, like experiencing yeah. like our truth. Yeah. And so 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 it's both, it's exactly what you said. It's that, you know, in an ideal environment we would have, and there's a lot of ways of describing this, like bliss experience is one or just feeling connected or feeling, you know, at one with, with the universe. Like, like there's many ways of saying, like, I feel good in my body as myself and I don't need anything because, Mm. you know, and and for, for any Mm. listeners, maybe you guys have had the experience of like getting into a really beautiful meditative space Mm. where it's like in that moment, you just feel like I feel good and everything's okay. And it's all good. And and I'm happy and I'm just right right here, right now. I don't need anything else. This is just, just being right now feels amazing. Like this is our natural state, right? But most people can't get to that state without some sort of substance or alcohol or some sort of, you know, something to like, to, 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 to let them relax back into that beingness. But that beingness is closer, closer to our true identity. You know, I'm not going to say like the ultimate, ultimate identity, because, you know, there's so many levels to that. But right. The more you get into that, you know, what I just described, it's like, OK, that's the indicator that you're getting closer to your true self. And that's why it feels so good. Right. It's like a mm-hmm. shoe that doesn't fit hurts mm-hmm. your foot. 
You know, it's like, oh, this doesn't, mm-hmm. this doesn't work. But one that fits you feels better, right? So it's like, okay, when I'm closer to myself, my true natural self, that feels better, right? But when we have different traumas that have locked our nervous system up, where we can't, you know, relax into ourselves, or we have self judgments that are, you know, causing us to contract in different environments, so we can't, you know, be our true self. Well, then we're we're trying to figure out how to be free, right? Mm-hmm. How to like relax into our true self, mm-hmm. and we can either take something that maybe can in a sense, like mute the trauma that we're feeling in the moment to relax into it. Or another thing we can do is get completely out of our body mm-hmm. by, by getting distracted by something, you know, external to us or, you know, indulging in, you know, whatever. And then we can go through the list of all the different vices that people are involved in, but it's, we're not in touch with our truth, right. Um, because we're traumatized or whatever, for some reason, and, um, and that like lack of being in touch with our truth is what really drives the addiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's, that's powerful. Um, so what I, what I see in the world right now, very simply is we're dealing with the conflict of truth versus lies. Mm. And so we could easily say that the addictions of all sorts are rooted in lies so, okay, let's say like lies that we tell ourselves, the little white lies, the things that we brush over, the, the, the truths that we don't want to confront or embrace or even see. Um, so we tell ourselves lies about a relationship that isn't actually working, about a, a vocation or career that's not really in alignment with our spirit, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. So th- those all have their own tentacles in some form of addiction because in order for a truth to be uh suppressed it has to be numbed because the truth is too powerful the lie actually has very little power but the truth is too powerful to be suppressed unless we're unless we numb it right we have so so that that's where the the addictions of all manner come in and so i'd say i'd look at that on the the individual interpersonal level and then there's like the macro level of the truth versus lies situation Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with in the macro which is we'll just put it right. I'll just, well, we can just unpack yeah. that for whatever it's worth, but that's kind of yeah. how I see those two levels. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, it's, it's the, the shadows, right? So our internal right. shadows as in, you know, cause they're individual perspective and collective perspective. And I think you're that, that's dead on it. Right. So we're talking about addiction being disconnecting from our truth. And then you start looking into, well, what as a culture, like how disconnected are we from our truth as a culture, our identity as like a human being? And this starts getting into, you know, the the corruption in the um, just like in history, you know, the lies that have been told to us, you know, in school about where we come from. The lies have been told to us about the cosmology that we exist. in, Right. So it's like all these different things, because, you know, if we truly knew who we are. Like when, and when, and, you know, hopefully everybody's had glimpses of that, you know, everybody listening to this, um, at least like small glimpses, or at least you can tell the direction because, you know, whether like when you're going, like I was saying earlier, you can tell the direction that's in more alignment because of the nature of how that feels. Right. And it feels better when you're going in that direction. But we've, when we've been disconnected from it at such a fundamental level to the point where the, the our idea of, of what a human is, is like some mistake of random mutations, right. on some spinning rock, like out in the middle of nowhere, 
where in this materialistic kind of, you know, uh, dystopic uh, uh, scientism kind of religion perspective, mm-hmm. like that, that interpretation of what we are is undoubtedly going to cause the kinds of psycho-emotional distortions that lead to um, the chasing of addictions, or in other words, the, uh, the perpetuating of, of lies to ourselves yep. and illusions. And so, um, so it is actually absolutely like macro micro. And this is one of the things that like, I've been really interested in, and I want to go a lot deeper into, which is, which is like unpacking. And this is why I like Rudolf Steiner's work also so much is because he has such a vast cosmology that is so healing to, uh, to, you know, integrate into our consciousness, you know, and there's other cultures that have that too. You know, there's other, you know, mystical, uh, uh, like cosmologies that, um, that you can tell are, is true simply just even by the, the effect that it has on someone's consciousness who is able to integrate the philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like, like one of the things that Steiner actually says that I really appreciate is that from the spiritual perspective, truth and health are, are bound together. Like there isn't like, there isn't yep. a differentiation. Yep. Like you can't have those two separated. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so, and this is where a lot of people I think get, you know, and the way I've described it is like the difference between like the idea of a fact and the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can look at something from a certain imperialistic um, like scientific perspective and you can say like, this is a fact, yep. but ultimately you need that you're still interpreting that fact. And so you're still giving meaning to what that fact means. And you can give it, you can try to say that you're totally objective, but like still that yeah, 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 yeah. no That's information right. can, nothing can be done with the information until you've given it meaning and, yeah. and, give, and fit it into some sort of cosmology for like what it means to you and what to do with it. And so if that cosmology is distorted, um, then, then you can take a fact out of context and then you can have a fact that seems to be disempowering or a fact that seems to be like distorting or saying like, Oh, this is just the way it is. And it's this bleak outlook. But the truth of the matter is that that's not true. If it's disempowering, right, 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 right. It's yeah. Be true. If it's disempowering. So truth and and empowerment are, are like they're locked together. together in a sense, truth and health are bound together. And so from a spiritual perspective, that fact may still be the same fact that you can look at objectively you know, the same way, but how that fits into everything else is what will determine whether it's, or whether it's true or not. Right. right. And it's true. And, and an indicator of truth, that's a way of saying it. An indicator of truth is something that perpetuates health, something that, that, that is fundamentally empowering. Right. And so this is, this is the, uh, the, the hack to not get stuck in the idea that you know, a series of facts can be presented to you and then your interpretation could be like, oh, that's disempowering, but it's true. And that's just what it is. Right. It's never that. It's yeah. never that because there's always a truer way of being able to interpret those same facts. And the true, like the, the truer it gets, the more empowering that interpretation becomes. Right. And so then you see like one person that, you know, you could say like two identical twins had the same exact life. They had the same exact traumas, the same exact troubles. One of them went on to be extremely successful and, and mm. live a very fulfilling life. And the other one, uh, you know, spiraled into, and, and, into, into, you know, darkness and, and, mm. um, and died terribly sad and, and lost. 
right? And you can ask both of them, well, what was it that, um, you know, what was it that, that made you live your life that way? And the one that spiraled into, into darkness would say, well, this trauma happened and that trauma happened, all this stuff. And it just weighed on me. And then, and, and, and it was, that's why I went down. And the other one will say, well, this trauma happened and that trauma happened. And then I, and, and I learned this from it and then empowered me in this way. And then I was able to overcome it because of those hardships. I was able to rise to something greater. And, and I would never have been able to triumph as, as, as large as I did had I not gone through those trials. So, mm. you know, it's like, it's like the, these difficult things that we experience can either be our excuse for our downfall or they can be the fuel that helps us grow into something greater. And it all has to do with how do we take those experiences and learn how to perceive them in an empowering way. And there's more truth in that. And you can mm -hmm. see that in the, the representation of the life of somebody that's interpreted the truth in those things and then triumphed with that truth. Mm -hmm. So well said, just because something's a fact doesn't make it true. And exactly. in truth, actually, is it's universal. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's irrefutable really based on the results that it creates. And so we have this entropic dystopian scientismic materialistic atheistic culture that is all double down on doom, gloom, you know, entropy, like everything's, everything's subject to decay and it's gonna, it's all gonna, you know, it's like wh whatever, like it's uh, what am I thinking of? It's like, you know, the, the, the earth is going to end in, you know, a thousand years or a million years, mm -hmm. but, but we need to know about it now because we need to create as much <laughs> fear and pandemonium as possible to corral everyone like, like herd into a particular box so we can inject more control because that's mm -hmm. what this all ultimately always comes down to is how do we control people? And the best way to do it is we have to we have to get them fearful of a all the way to Z, um, you know, because fear I'm going to a whole long thing on that. But but fear is what drives addiction. Mm -hmm. And if you have addicted people, then you have people that are not sovereign and don't don't have and their willpower is deactivated. And that's ultimately what we're seeing. What I, mean, I think a lot of us are trying to or are, are activating within ourselves is our sovereignty, you know, that, that peace inside of us, that willpower, that not will just to survive, but the will to thrive through, to emerge out of this, this dystopian kind of a cloud that's, that's looming over the population. But that, but again, to your point, that's only one frame of perspective. If that's what we're looking at and that's what we're obsessing over, that's all we're going to see. We're not going to be able to see what's emerging out of the pressure, this luciferic pressure that's being placed upon us. There's also something that's, that's emerging out of the pressure as well. Um, I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, this is this, this like, um, I mean, it's like exercise, right? You got, you gotta, you know, you need resistance in order to grow mm. and it, like grow your muscles. And, and so, and it's very much like that in the sense of, um, you know, and this is an esoteric perspective, but, um, in the sense of, um, of soul development, right. Mm -hmm. And that is the purpose of evil, mm -hmm. right. That's its place within the universe. So in my understanding, it's, it's that, you know, originally when, when, um, 
when evil was created, I mean, it was created by, you, you could say the creator created evil as a way to help people grow it, to, to know themselves more, right? Because when you're faced with uh, challenges in general, then a challenge forces you to have to, well, either you, 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 you miss the initiation or you dig to something deeper within yourself and you bring forth more of your true self, right? And so then, you know, from the perspective of creation, um, to kind of kickstart or you could say to uh, expedite the process of development, there was actually, you know, what was considered divine evil. So this was evil done from a place of love to help people grow, right? But it would appear to be evil, you know, from, you know, the outside perspective. But then, you know, somewhere, and this is like a really deep kind of thing that I'm really simplifying, but somewhere along the way, the energetics that, 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 produce, that, that were produced from that kind of God-sourced evil um, ended up creating the potential for consciousnesses other than God to become corrupted. And they became corrupted. And then evil kind of like took its own path mm-hmm. and kind of got away, got, like, mm-hmm. got out of the bag in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so, but there is a place for it within creation. And that place is that it sharpens our sword is a way of saying it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but that doesn't mean everyone's going to, going to make the initiation. Right. And so, um, but essentially it's like, it goes back to this fundamental thing that we were talking about earlier. It's, it's, is it's finding our true self, right. Finding more of our true self. And one of the best ways to find your true self is to be faced with something that is anti. So like anti-Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's like the, uh, the, the polar opposite because in facing the, the deepest darkness of the shadows of, of the opposite of our true nature, that forces us to bring wow. the, the highest of our true nature forward. And so that's very much like the, the, the narrative of these times, in uh-huh. my opinion, it's like, uh-huh. that's what we're going through right now. We're seeing the like complete inversion of what it is to be human and so much manipulation that it's like, that's, what's championed as being like, Mm. you know, that's, what's being socially and like, and like, even like economically rewarded, right. right, Is to be the, the inversion or the antichrist. And so it's forcing, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to have to face that and like stand in our own truth. But this is a process of knowing our truth and, and being able to cultivate more and more of that truth. Um, through the challenges that we're experiencing, but you know the downside or like the the tragedy that that exists like in this whole process is that you know there's many souls that that in a sense are deteriorating their their soul essence mm. because there's not there's not enough um, soul force mm. to to shine enough light to see through the the darkness that's being um, expressed right now. And so as a result, in a sense, like they're, they're being drawn into that other, um, into an expression of the darkness, which is ultimately soul deteriorating, right? So that would be Mm. the entropy. The Mm. entropy Mm. is, 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 is going in that direction. Right. And so, you know, Steiner talks about it and other mystics talked about it as being the eighth sphere. So this eighth eighth sphere is essentially, you could say it's like the hell dimension, Uh right. Um, and, and it's, or the underworld, you, you, and you, and in order to make it through the underworld, you have to have enough soul mm. resonance mm. for, to not get confused and then, uh, disintegrated into that realm, mm-hmm. um, when you're going through it. 
And so we're like going through it right now, like as mm. humans, right? But then this is also something that you would go through like after you die. And, and then it would be, well, do you deteriorate into that realm or do you retain enough of your own true identity that that realm actually then in that place and from that perspective then becomes a healer for you mm-hmm. because then it, mm-hmm. because then all of those, that, that darkness in a sense, um, it will attract all of your shadows to it and you, and, and then eat your shadows off of you. Mm-hmm. But, but that true, you know, aspect of your truth that's there, if it's strong enough, then you go through the process of the shot, you know, you battle with it in the process of it eats your shadows mm-hmm. off. And then all that's left mm-hmm. is the alchemized you that mm-hmm. moves forward. So, and that's the purpose that it has. It's kind of like the cosmic, like, you know, vacuum into the, the, it's like the cosmic, um, um, what's it called when you, uh, uh, decomposing, um, vegetables, it's, uh, uh-huh. the cosmic, um, um, what, what Compost. is it? Compost. Compost heat. Yes. The cosmic yeah. compost heat. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, but, but, but the true you will never decompose unless mm, you give your, mm, you know, mm, but, but mm. you can dissolve yourself into it. But if you're retaining that true you within your own, I am awareness, that consciousness, it'll just eat the shadows off you. And so then what I, what, what you experience that, what I've seen people experience in the world today right now is that the degree to which people are, are wrapped in their shadows is the degree to which the um, like the more, trouble that they're experiencing in these times like the more chaotic the world is right because they're having to go in there and then they're Mm, like you know they're mm. they're facing all this stuff and they're they're karmically connected to to it because of that but this is like their opportunity either they're going to retain themselves and Mm. that's going to eat the eat it off of them and they'll come out alchemized or they could lose their consciousness into it Mm, you know mm, mm. and um which also has a bit to do with the danger of becoming overly fascinated with these kinds of things right because it's like you know, you can like, if you can get overly stuck on those kinds of ideas, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like the idea is like, if you got traumatized, you can't stop thinking about a particular horrific experience. So you're mm-hmm. like torturing mm-hmm. yourself by thinking about it, you know, mm-hmm. but in that sense, like, like you, you, you could kind of get stuck, like torturing yourself in a sense, you're cannibalizing yourself and you're cannibalizing your consciousness to like scatter into this eight sphere hell realm versus like holding on to your, you know, your true self. And then in, 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 in just offering up the, um, the, uh, the distortions that you have letting it all just like fall away. Yeah. It's the cosmic karma. It's like the, the sacred initiation of, you know, and it's painful, but it's like, you know, that alchemical process where in a sense, like the parasites are eating Mm -hmm. your, your, your shadow off of you and Mm -hmm. and you go through that process, but retain yourself and, and move forward as a, as a integrated truth. Well, that's super powerful. I mean, the, the, the idea itself is really powerful t- that, you know, that these, these, these layers of identity can start, start falling away without us having to be swept up in the, the storm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of us that's solid, stable, anchored, centered, grounded. And then the parts of us that, that are not, can fall away. I guess, I guess it's like, so the question is like, what, what does that process look like? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. I can think of a number of them, but like, what, what's, what's a practical process that you, that you understand that, that, that works with. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, is it like, like you're just, they, you again, just feel, so many, you feel your but, way through it? Right. Well, see, so it's like, it comes back to, you know, I guess there's a lot of angles to go. The one, one major key is self-honesty. Okay. Right. Right. And, um, you know, but I could, we could bring it into the frame of drug addiction, you know, it, it just make it a common frame, which is, um, is that when you have a, you know, a trauma that's playing out and a distortion pattern where you're continuing to ignore something, right. That is, that is like a shadow aspect in, in a sense that's controlling you. That's not your true essence, mm-hmm. right. But it's some sort of distorted pattern that's continuing to play out. Right. And you, you could say that a drug addict can go in a direction where they continue to spiral down and then like die. Right. Or one that is able to actually through the pain, wake them up enough to realize that in a sense, they're like cannibalizing themselves. And then from that, like realization of like, what am I doing to myself? This, like this awareness becomes alchemical. It starts giving you the perspective, the the opportunity for choice, right? Because a lot of things that, you know, most of our addictions, the problems that we're dealing with, they're unconscious for the most part at first, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's a level of it becomes conscious, but I can't stop doing it. And so it's this addiction, but in that awareness, if, um, if you learn enough about yourself through that process and what you're doing and where the motivations are coming from. And, and if you have a particular need that you're trying to get Mm -hmm. in some distorted way, but you're able to tune back into your, your own power of, of being able to fulfill that need from like like a place within you, then that, that, that distortion that, you know, behavior can start to fall away. But in that process, you've just realized yourself more. Right. And so this can be with, you know, somebody that has a problem with lying or somebody that, you know, you know, abuses other people or, or somebody Mm -hmm. that, um, that has like a control freak that always has Mm -hmm. to control every conversation they're in or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Right. There's this Mm -hmm. like, oh, I become aware that I'm doing this thing out of this for this distorted reason. And that awareness is alchemical because this awareness is actually, you know, an aspect of you could say like your higher self. It's like, oh, I'm aware of what I'm doing. And then that that awareness then gives you the ability to start making a choice. Mm -hmm. And then you can start choosing to fulfill yourself in a non parasitic way, you know, like in a in a sustainable way, which is, you know, internally. And then from that space, once you're fulfilled internally, then the external distortion stops playing out and, mm. and you've freed yourself from that addiction in a sense. Mm. Mm. That's powerful. So I feel like this, this plays into like the distinction between what people in society call woke versus mm. like being awoke. Right. And they're, they're right. like very different things. And I think it's the same thing of yeah. like truth and lies. Yeah. Like one is, one is actually true and the other is a complete, it's like a counterfeit. Right. R- absolutely. It's like one, one is in the name of, and this is where things get so tricky, mm-hmm. but yeah, like one, one is, um, is, is, is being honest with yourself for your motive. I think this is where to stick is being honest with yourself of where your motivations come from. Is it because when we're talking about like the woke movement, it's like, it's all like, we're doing this in the name of this, but it's for this other distorted reason. Yeah. Right. And so you see all these, you know, it's like virtue signaling saying, Mm -hmm. you know, we're trying Mm -hmm. to uh, eradicate oppression or we're trying to, you know, protect 
you know, people from weapons or whatever, whatever all these different yeah, yeah, things yeah, are. Yeah. It's like, the, this is the reason. And a lot of the people actually believe that that's the reason, but they're not in touch enough with their own psychology to see that, well, you know, you're, you're, it's your ladder climbing or you're trying to seek your power seeking, or you're, yeah. you're trying to gain like social status in an environment. You want to feel important, like, you know, fighting for a particular battle. And this is, you know, it seems like the easiest battle to win because you have, you know, the media on your side, you know, or whatever, like all these, all these different reasons, distorted reasons for the behavior. And so, so when we say, when, when you say woke in the way that I interpret it, it's basically, um, it's basically virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. It's saying that in the name of something noble, I'm doing this thing, but there's all these shadow reasons for why it's being done. Whereas being awoke is, is acting virtuous because of your honest dedication to virtue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be like truly being woke. And the tricky part about it is that like the, the, the words being spoke could be verbatim, the same thing, right. but the intention underneath could be different. Right. And so somebody that's really slick, you know, could, could learn the language so perfectly and like mm-hmm. actually be, you know, saying everything exactly perfect, have all the philosophies and everything worked mm-hmm. out, but the resonance is off. It's done for yeah, yeah, an, yeah. an alternative reason. And this is yeah. why things are so tricky right now, because, you know, only somebody that's gotten to a certain level of purity within themselves can even make the discernment mm-hmm. between mm-hmm false like between wokeism and like truly being awake and so then as a result so many other people that you know have these same kind of distortive tendencies can now justify those distortive tendencies under the banner of what the woke narrative is and feel justified about it because they Mm. can you know rationalize Mm -hmm. it then so it's like permission to rationalize (laughs) these distortions and so it's a tricky thing because it's like you know it's like how do you you know, it, it does take a certain level of personal development to be able yeah. to, 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 to identify these things. And so, um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say, what do you do for people to make it more obvious? I, all I can think for myself is, I don't know how to make it more the, obvious. Well, what I'm saying is that, is that, you know, for somebody that doesn't have that discernment, yeah. how do you give them that discernment is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and, and all I can think for, for myself is that, all that we can do is do our absolute best to embody as much of the, right, the right. real awokeness that okay. that it can create a, a level of um of of distinction that there's like you know more and more noticeable distinction that becomes available and you know and and it just comes back to self responsibility like how do we make the world a better place mm-hmm. like be the example you know do the best that we can integrate ourselves so this comes full circle with the whole conversation which is embodiment. So, you know, as far as the addiction thing is like, I, you know, I talk about, and this is even talked about in the gene keys and the, the, the chapter on addiction, the gene keys on addiction, where like the, the, you know, you have the shadow, the gift, the city. And I think the, the, the shadow is addiction. The gift is invention and then the city, oh man, it's, it's right on the tip of my tongue. It's, it's something about liberation, freedom, something like that, mm-hmm. right? But like invention or reinvention is really interesting because you essentially have to reinvent yourself. You have mm-hmm. to reinvent yourself from being the version of you that is currently an addict to A, B, C, and D, right? And then the brain chemistry has to rewire itself from being dopaminergically 
pattern to getting, you know, ple- pleasure seeking, chasing pleasure, avoiding pain. Right. Like you right. literally have to become a very different version of you than you're accustomed to being. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we take the lens of overcoming or transcending and healing our addictions, ultimately we're going to land on the most optimal, authentic version of ourselves that's going to be able to perceive through these um, these distortion patterns because we're no longer operating within our own distortion. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, and I think a key aspect of that is is like, you know, for me and my path, I'll just speak for myself, has been in my commitment to virtue uh-huh. and my dedita- dedication to the contempl- contemplation of virtue and to the implementation of virtue in my life as a staple. And, and through that, it, it starts to, because it's a hard thing to reinvent yourself as like what you would prefer to see in your mind from the same value system that you were like living from before. Right. So right. it's like, where do you start deriving your, a higher value system? And because, you know, if you're going to get a good dopamine response, right, you need to like one way of getting a good dopamine response is um, is taking action in alignment with your values and what you champion, right? And so, if like if you think that you know it's great to just make a lot of money and it ends there, then it's like you can do shady stuff to make money and still right. feel good about yourself, right? Right? But it's like, but if you have if you have that much of a dedication in your values to virtue. Then it starts to be that you get you can get dopamine responses from doing something that externally would look, you know, to a lot of people like maybe you failed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But you can get this like incredible dopamine response from it because, you know, that even though externally maybe you failed, um, you know, like you didn't achieve the thing or you didn't make the money. But you're but you also had a dedication to, to say moving through that process with grace and like letting go of attachment and being virtuous to the people involved, you can succeed on all those other levels and still get a dopamine boost, Mm -hmm. even when it looks like you failed. Right. So you're not, and this is like the issue, right? It's like, if you're stuck on a drug, the only way to get the high, this is what I was saying earlier. The only way to get a high is to get the drug until you learn how to Mm -hmm. boost yourself otherwise. And so what I was saying, like, when I didn't know how to have a bliss experience, like I didn't know how to meditate. I couldn't get an alpha brainwave state. You know, like I couldn't feel good in on, on my own. So I needed something exterior, you know, and that could be desire for money, desire for attention, all these different things. Right. But when you're, when you're able to attain that level of vibration of feeling good in a healthy way or on your own, right. Without needing something external like that, then you don't need that other, that, that vice anymore. Mm -hmm. And so what I found is that one of the best ways of internally doing that is, is focusing priorities on your internal journey. Like it's not what you get, it's who you become. Right. So then it's not even about like, did I, did I get the thing or did I not get the thing? The getting the thing is great to get it, but it's really what it's about is becoming a better person. And so then when, when your values are stacked that way, then when you run into issues and you don't get what you're intending for, that's Mm. a perfect opportunity for you to exercise another level of your own development internally Mm, by responding mm, to it mm -hmm. in a way that meets these other goals of patience, of, you know, being compassionate of all these other things. And so then, you know, you're either winning on both levels or if you don't get the thing or whatever, that's perfect opportunity for you to learn how to 
to, to step up in one of these other areas. And then you get the dopamine boost on mm, that end of it. Mm, mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. just organizing your, your, your life to right. basically always give you the, it's always an opportunity, you know? And so you win some, you lose some, but when you're losing, you're winning. So mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a win-win then. Right. I, I think that's, that's beautiful. That's absolutely perfect. And dopamine is generated in the anticipation of something in the future. So the anticipation of shooting up heroin, the anticipation of watching pornography and getting a, you know, getting a ejaculating the anticipation of um, meeting that person that you really have a thing for, like the anticipating anticipation of eating a particular food and how it's going to feel and the sensations and all that Um, working out. Right. Or the, the, you know, the grind and the work, you know, so then it's like, Okay, rerouting that dopamine pathway towards productive anticipations instead of just immediate gratification. So then it becomes anticipating the results that I'm going to get, whether it's internally or externally. And that's what you're speaking to, like the intrinsic, the intrinsic benefits, even if the extrinsic, the external results don't manifest in the way that I think they should, or I want them to. That's, that's actually the perfect way to start overriding that compulsive addictive pattern to immediate gratification by actually practicing. If something doesn't show up immediately for me, I'm going to go right into the internal gratification. What am I learning? Like, and usually it's patience among other things. Right. And then, and then, and then valuing that and double downing and that and gain the dopamine and the serotonin hit from that. Like, Hey, look who I'm becoming. Look what's happening inside of me. I'm becoming more patient. I'm becoming more virtuous. I'm becoming more resilient. I'm becoming less attached to material things like that, that in of itself, as you put it to me, it feels like really the the simplest pathway for overriding at least the psychological addictions to soothing ourselves based on external phenomenon mm-hmm. yeah i mean you really said it it's um that's very much um i mean that's that's the process i've used you know and that i keep using i mean it's I'm, not I'm like forced, some easy I'm, thing i i found that i'm forced to use that that's why i can <laughs> right. that's why it's coming up i'm like oh yeah that's yeah. right i do that but it's not like but it's like it could be a little more refined as like a like a but it is something that forces itself out of necessity well right we're cuz we're constantly in this thing of like you know i i, I call it like big picture small pi- big picture mm-hmm. small picture and it's like you know, we're in the world and we're doing stuff in the world and we want things to happen in a certain way. And we're yeah. like trying to make it work. Right. And then you get really into that game. It's almost like, you know, you're playing a game of, you know, a board game. Yeah. yeah. Like in the large scope of things, the board game doesn't matter, but you can get really into it in the moment. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, and you get really into it and the, like the, where people fail is they get stuck in the small game forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is that when this, when the small game doesn't work, that's a perfect opportunity to step back into the big picture, which is like what, and this is why the cosmology of humanity is so important because it's like, if all that's here is a materialistic realm, you know, then, then what other purpose do we have than to have pleasure in, in, in a mass like right, material right, resource? Right. Totally. right. So, so it's like you're stuck. You, the small game is the only thing that exists. And that's the way that scientism is trying to get people to think the small game is the only thing that exists, but the, the antidote to getting locked in the small game. And it's not that you should, you know, I'm not one of the, 
one of those people that's an extremist on the other end either that it's like oh nothing matters materialistically and it's just you know Nihilism. just to dissolve into you know spirituality and you know just meditate you know 24 yeah, 7 that's not it's helpful like either yeah, we're working on both levels but so it's so it's like what's the mechanism for being able to look at the framework of perception from the small scale and then to the big scale mm. and the big scale is like you step step back you look at the big picture and you realize i you know the cosmology like i'm a soul on a journey that's developing it's about who i become i will live thousands of lives and so it's not about like winning in this life because all the experiences that you have through all those lives is what creates the being that you're becoming so you need to experience all these different crazy things so mm. it's part of it so the idea is like how do i extract the lesson from this situation mm. to develop my being instead of resenting the situation because it's not as pleasurable as you want it or didn't happen mm. the way that you wanted it to happen mm. is like you know with withholding from pleasure is how you grow yourself anyway you know in a lot of ways like being it's able so to true. go through so you know true. so it's like so but this is the the funny thing about it is like we still, it's like, it's not that we should stop trying to experience the things that we want, or if we, you know, if we have like, you know, certain desires that are say healthy desires, or we want to like achieve or be successful in certain ways. It's not that we just give up on that. Cause it's, Hey, it's just about like who I'm becoming. I shouldn't try to do that. It's like, well, you go for it and you win some of them and you lose some of them. But when you lose some of them, you actually win also. So, and, and that's, and you win by being able to step back into the big picture and realize that this is like, you know, this is just one of like thousands of lives and this is, you know, here to teach me. And so, but like what you said, like, it's hard, you know, I'm going to have to force yourself to, because what happens is that you get, when you get in that micro perspective, especially when you're putting a lot of energy and a lot of effort into something and you're really going for something, it's like, of course you get attached to it to a degree, you know, get in a relationship, you're really in love with something. Yep. It's like, of course you get attached yep. in some way. Right. Yep. But then when something happens and you have to break apart, it's like having that, that, that realization. I mean, it, that, that it is about the bigger picture gives you the capacity to do that harmoniously. And it's going to be painful. The letting go, like, like, you know, the failure, whatever it is, it's going to have pain to it, but in that pain is the growth. And, um, but you have to realize the bigger picture in order to be able to go through that process healthily. Otherwise mm -hmm. you keep holding mm -hmm. on to it forever. And it becomes like a bitter resentment that you mm -hmm. hold on to and it gets bound mm -hmm. in your system mm -hmm. and, and, and it just grinds away at your soul. So, but being able to step back into the big picture and then and realize you're playing that game, small picture, small picture, big picture. And so I'll find myself going through stuff where it's like, oh, I'm getting frustrated. And then it's like, okay. And then I'm like laughing about it. And like stepping yeah. back is like, and yeah. just like getting as good as I can at going back and forth. But you know, there's certain things that suck you in and like, it's tough, man. And I'd say relationships are probably the hardest, probably the know, hardest that I've experienced because yeah. it's like letting go of something that's like, you know, so embedded is just a painful process. It feels many ways like which arm am I giving up my right arm or my left arm? It's like, you got to choose. And it's like, ah, it's just like so uh -huh. painful when you go through that. But ultimately, you know, when you lose something that isn't eternal in yourself, mm. which is that other arm, you realize more of the eternal. And that gives you perspective to be able to kind of merge, merge like the, the macro and the micro, and then mm -hmm. operate more consciously from like a, from a balance point between the two spaces. Beautifully said beautifully said and we could we could unpack that more and more and more that's definitely like this is the perfect place to <clears throat> to tie a bow onto the conversation and in a conversation that could go on for quite some time it's like an infinite territory and it's like it's the what you're speaking to is the short game versus the long game and sometimes mm -hmm. you need you need to make short moves 
for the immediate situation, but, but are they in alignment for the long, the long game in order to know that you have to know what the long game is. You have to know what, what is, and that's, and that's the challenge. That's the virtue. I think that you're speaking to, which is like, okay, I'm an immortal soul. I have a finite incarnation. So that's the dual, that's the dual thing to hold is that I'm an immortal soul, but this is a finite incarnation right here. So I only have a certain amount of time and I have no idea what that is. So I have to actually detach from that, but with the awareness of it so that I don't get complacent, right? So it's like, it's a very interesting thing to hold these multiple perspectives that all work simultaneously. And, um, that's, that's something I'd invite the listeners to consider like, okay, what, what is my long game? And this is something that's going to play out throughout your life, by the way, you don't have to have it figured out right now. Just like, you know, what's the next month look like? What's, what's the next three months? What do, what do I, where do I want to go? In other words, what are some of my goals? And then what are the short-term immediate things that I need to do without and within myself to start moving the momentum forward and then um, that's kind of the most practical, simplistic way that I see that. Um, yeah, so much in this conversation, man. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. I love how you orient all this stuff, man. I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I remember it was—I I don't know if I sent you a message or, or not, but it was—it was, it was a, probably maybe six months ago or something. I think I sent you a message, or at least I thought about sending you a message. But uh, I mean, you've been put, making all these posts where you're just laying it out. You're just like laying the whole thing out. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I really respect your courage and your willingness to just like speak your truth so boldly the way that you have, because it's like, you know, we're all playing our, our different roles there. But like, I, I really felt like there's, there's been some major, I felt the major transformations happening in you. And, and I felt like you've been so transparent with that publicly that it's been healing and transformative for everybody. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I really appreciate you as a, as a soul and as a, um, and as a warrior on the path. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I super appreciate that. It's been quite a journey and, uh, there's, there's another wave building for sure. Uh, yeah, there's definitely another way of building. A lot is integrated and thankfully so. And there's been a lot of healing and and needing to take a good step away from social media at different intervals because it was a lot of energy moving nonstop. And then eventually I had to make a concerted effort to pull away from the theatrics and the drama and just the whole situation. Um, and just like, and that was my short, my short, my short game. Um, allowing for the longer game because this is all playing itself out. Like we're, we're in this for the long, (laughs) long haul. We got a long way to go. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out, but we're, we're definitely not spectators. We're definitely fully participating in our own roles. And I appreciate you as well. And many of the videos that you've made, um, really going deep into some of these niche topics that, a lot of people may not want to touch or they may just not have the the articulation or the comprehension to be able to go into it uh, the way that someone like you is able to. So I definitely appreciate you very much too, bro. Cool, brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. it's been an honor to be on, man. Yeah, likewise, an honor to have you. Um, where, where can people find out more about you if they want to connect? Yeah, so you can... Um... You can go to my YouTube channel, which is Patrick Hayes Live. 
You can also have a Telegram channel, which is Patrick Hayes Live, and that's H A I Z E. Mm-hmm. Patrick P A T R I C K H A I Z E Live L I V E. Um, you can um, you can also go to my website, which is patrickhayes.com. Um, I, the, my coaching is patrickhayes.com backslash sessions with Patrick. You can find me there also, but yeah, most of my content is up on, on YouTube. And then if you're also in Facebook and, and we have enough mutual friends, just feel free to reach out and friend me. And I still got some friend, friend, uh, slots left. So nice. I'm open to that too. Cool, brother. Super pleasure and honor and uh, grateful for this conversation. Yeah. Likewise, bro. Much love. And I'm, I'm stoked to see you here next time you come out to Sedona or who knows, maybe I'll come out to Texas one of these days. I highly encourage it. All right. Cool, brother.